0: CHAPTER 38 KIKULI After pacing to and fro and waiting for what seemed like a long time, Katie heard Rene's distinctive shuffle coming down the path toward her. "'Rene, I'm pregnant!' Katie exclaimed as she ran to him with her arms out. He pulled her to him and looked crossly at her. "'How? You had the IUD before the blast. Have you had sex with anyone here?' "'You're an idiot,' Katie retorted, pulling herself away. "'This is Rory's baby.' Oh, okay. Well, good. Congratulations, Renee said, chuckling. Katie inhaled impatiently, turned her back to him, and folded her arms. Hey, I'm glad it's Rory's baby, so being pregnant is cool, right? Renee wasn't sure how to react. Oh, wait! Are you still a goddess? he asked. What are you talking about, Renee? Your pregnancy changes things. Doesn't having a baby kick you out of the god club? Why would you think that? Ancient gods had babies, Renee. I'm from a Catholic upbringing. It feels too much like a virgin birth. No one knows who the father is, you know. You came to Earth already pregnant. But that enhances the God effect, Renee. Besides, I don't understand why you're worried about whether I'm a God or not. I'm worried because I'm pregnant. Well, the only virgin birth I know of is Jesus, and he was the Son of God. And who was Jesus' mother, Renee? Mary of Nazareth. But she was a mortal. Before Christianity, or any Abrahamic religion really, God's having babies was normal. I'd be surprised if my pregnancy causes people to question Ishtar's divinity. Rebea is excited about it. What do you mean by the Abrahamic religions, Katie? You know, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity are the religions of the prophet Abraham, and a common thread in each of them is the loss of the woman's voice. The female god was removed from these religions, so that men could rule. Now the only way to bring a god to earth was through immaculate conception. Isn't the evolution of the Abrahamic religions happening right here, right now, Katie? Your pregnancy might be bad news. As far as I can tell, Akhenaten is the only person talking monotheism right now, so I suspect we will be fine, but shit, I don't want to be pregnant. They heard footsteps and looked up to see Toma running toward them. What do you want to do, Katie? Renée asked. I guess we'll go on to Nuzi, Renée. I have to learn about the Mitanni kingdom and find a way to strengthen connections with them. And the king, no less, is waiting for us there. My father, Kikuli, is preparing to greet us outside of Nuzi, Toma announced. We must go now. I believe he will try to surprise us. Why? Is this a game, Toma? Toma frowned. No, my goddess, it is a test, he said. And you say it is a surprise? This contest sounded fun, and Katie wanted in. After all, she was Ishtar, the goddess of horses, and she was ready to play. Yes, but he always tries to surprise me in this way. So far, I have been bested by him. But today, I have the goddess with me. Do you want to ride with me in the lead chariot? Katie smiled and nodded. Yes, but I need someone to fetch my armor. I left it in the tack room. It is already done, Toma said proudly. I have brought it to the chariot. It is waiting for you. Then let's get going, Katie said. She had found her joy again. Toma waved to his men, and the group was ready within two minutes. While Yuni, Sitri, and Rabea stepped into the royal chariot, Toma proudly took his place with his driving partner, the lovely goddess Ishtar. Once the Imantis started the final leg of the day's journey, Katie became caught up in the exhilaration of the ride. She loved being in front, with the noise and excitement of the soldiers and horses running in tight formation behind her. How long will it take, Toma? she yelled in his ear. Three hours, he hollered back. Katie didn't know it, but that was optimistic. Nuzi was eighty-eight miles from Nimrod. They would have to maintain the hard pace of thirty miles an hour to make it. He didn't seem worried, though. Watching him, she saw no hint of uncertainty. More than two hours into the ride, The Amante column stopped when they reached a long crest of land running from east to west. Katie followed the undulating ridge with her eyes as it snaked in front of them. She lost it in the faraway haze, where it merged into the green river plain in the distance. At the base of this arcing ridge lay the wide-open prairie of the Little Zab River, the heart of Mitanni Horse Country. Toma helped Katie step out of the chariot, and they walked to the edge of the rise. As Katie stood next to him, looking eastward to the base of the ridge, she had to shield her eyes from the glaring sun, positioned low in the winter sky. "'I know he's coming,' Thomas said, smiling. He spoke in a low, conspiratorial voice. "'My father always tries to ambush us and take us prisoner, somewhere around here. He's out there, but I don't know where yet.' Now the game of cat and mouse between father and son began. Thomas Amanti was to descend into these plains— cross the little Zab, and sneak into Nuzi while evading detection from Kikuli or his men. Kikuli was a keen opponent. However, Toma had learned from his father and knew Kikuli's weakness. "'We'll be able to find him soon enough,' Toma said. "'He always gives us a clue.' "'What kind of clue?' Katie asked, scanning the miles of open expanse in front of them. Toma turned with his ear towards the river. "'I am listening for a voice in the wind.' "'A voice?' What voice? There is a wild stallion who finds father and gives his position away. Kitty was incredulous. How can a horse give someone away? Did I hear you correctly? My father has been trying to capture this horse for three years now, Ishtar. The stud watches father whenever he is out riding. They've become friends, but the horse will not allow my father or anyone to touch him. We can gather around him, but only so close. When the horse feels crowded, he runs off with his head and tail high. It is a wonderful game. Katie giggled, picturing the irritating stud screwing with the men. So how does he give Kigali's position away? He squeals out a high-pitched scream when he sees him. Really? Uh Uh-huh. The horse follows father, sometimes as far as the little Zab, right near this ridge. After that point, he returns to his mares. He often comes to our paddocks at night and convinces the mares to leave with him. He's a nuisance sometimes. What is his name? My father will not name him until he catches him. The horse with no name. Someone could make a song about that. Katie giggled at her private joke. If it were her choice, she'd name the stallion Apollyon, after a big, badass bull she worked on in vet school. Toma, I'm confused. You're telling me your father, Kikoli, the best horseman in the world, cannot stop a wild horse from giving his possession away? That's unbelievable. Wait till I tell Renee. She looked over the vast expanse again. I don't see how they can ambush us. There is only one road, and I see most of it. She pointed at the road sneaking ahead of them. There are two other places to cross the river, Thomas said. And there is another road that follows along the river that you cannot see from here. Father could be anywhere. He doesn't have to stay on the roads, Ishtar, as we do in our chariots. They are on horseback and can go places we cannot. Oh, they're not in chariots? No, there are only horses and men. That is part of the challenge. Now Katie was excited. Walking to the edge of the ridge, she cocked her head. Okay, so what are your plans, Toma? How are you going to do this? Her senses sharpened as she realized the attack could be mere moments away. Toma stood straight and pointed. We could turn right and follow that road. Or we could go left down that way. It depends on where we think father is. There are three river crossings, and we have to get across one of them before he catches us. How many men are in his patrol? He has only one group of ten men, so it forces him to choose. We can beat him if he makes the wrong choice. We will stay here for a while longer to listen for the stallion. In spite of the excitement, Katie was beginning to feel weary from the road. She walked to the chariot to rest a moment before the fun started. Five minutes later, Toma jumped into the chariot and set things in motion. As they started downhill in single file, Katie let her thoughts drift. She saw the stallion in her mind, the aloof, evasive stud. It was a black stallion, it had to be. The black stallion or black velvet, pick your generation, each has its stallion embedded in its collective psyche. Tall, muscular, Chiseled body and sensitive eyes, he was the horse of every schoolgirl's dream. Katie decided she would catch this stallion of Kikulis, and she would name him Apollyon, after that Brahma bull in vet school that she worked on. He was the most dangerous thing Katie ran into at school. She was with Rory that day. They shared dinner, and then, later, she moved in with him. Yes, the black stallion would be called Apollyon. The road dropped in elevation and began to wind between the rounded hills. Kitty understood why chariots needed to stay on the road here. These undulating hills were substantial. The Amonti continued on for two miles, always looking for places where Kikali could be waiting. There are drop-offs just this side of the river where he could hide, Toma explained, showing her the hollows as they came into view. And across the river, behind that bend, is another hill. Once we are across, on level ground, It'll be a race to be the first to arrive in Nuzi. In anticipation of an ambush, the chariots maintained as quick a pace as possible. The path was narrow, and the chariots descended in single file. The archers were arranged alternately along the line, providing uniform protection on both flanks. The weakest point of defense is the river crossing, Thomas said. The safest place to cross is right here, Toma pointed ahead, to a natural gap between hills, where a ravine funneled the road onto a wide apron. It is a safe, shallow access across the water, but if it has become sanded from the recent storms, we could bog down, not a good thing. If we go the other way and drop in a mile further upriver, it is less sandy, but deeper, and it will be a very swift current by now. Another deep crossing is two miles downriver, and that would add extra time. So I believe the first crossing is our best bet. "'Whoa!' Toma yelled, and the Amante column came close together, at the river's edge, preparing for the wild ride across the Little Zab. Clucking at his horses, Toma urged them to take a few steps forward so he could look up and down the river. He strained to see if Kikali was hiding beneath the cliffs across the river or near that bend up ahead, but he didn't see him, which meant he was waiting on this side. Toma craned his neck further to the left, looking for hiding places." Suddenly, the tell-tale scream of the black stallion pierced the air. At the same moment, Toma saw his father's men galloping around the bend and down the river toward them. Ten horses and riders sliced through the water, charging at breakneck speed. "'I see them!' Toma yelled to his men. "'They're on our side of the river! We must get across now! Now, now! Go, go, go!' Toma yelled. Forty horses jumped into high gear straining muscles, pushing legs, propelling loads forward. The water churned as hooves and wheels tore its surface asunder, and the turbulence turned the blue liquid into a dirty, frothy brown. Keep going straight up the road, Toma yelled as the horses pulled their chariots from the swirling waters at the other side. Galloping full speed up the far embankment, they ran as if the devil himself were chasing them. The horsemen were close behind, but Kikuli's men could not claim victory. They had not stopped the Amanti at the river. Toma was the victor, at last. The squad didn't stop for breath, but continued moving forward at a fast pace. The drivers maintained a two by two, protective formation for several miles. Only when the ground leveled out onto the savannah did Toma allow the Amanti to slow down. Are we stopping, Toma? Katie asked. Yes, we won, Ishtar. We're here, and we are first. He smiled and lifted his hand in the air to wave hello to his father, who was quickly approaching. He whistled and sent another hand signal to let the soldiers know they were to stand down. It was time to stop and enjoy their victory. In a moment the contingent was swarmed with ten horses and riders. Unlike Toma's politically correct Imanti, where each chariot displayed its banner and a Mitanni flag flew in the royal chariot, Kikali's men dressed haphazardly looking as though they had been roused from an all-night party. Not one of them wore a metal helmet or its leather cap, nor was their metal armor. They appeared hastily dressed in leather undergarment aprons or woolen pants and shirts. It was very ragtag. Katie laughed at the sight of them. It must be their day off, she thought. Then she saw a man ride through the crowd as it respectfully parted for him. He rode a bay thoroughbred horse that stood at least sixteen hands. Like his horse, the man was thin and dark. But unlike his horse with its silky, flowing mane and tail, this man's dark hair was blown wild from the wind. He had a four-day beard and prominent black caterpillar eyebrows, offset by a large nose. She could tell he was not very tall, but his muscles were easy to see and appreciate. She liked him immediately. This must be Kekalee, she thought. Riding to their chariot, Kikali dismounted before his horse stopped, and strode to Toma, who stepped from the chariot to welcome his father. Kikali's horse stopped dead when its reins hit the ground. "'Hello, Father,' Toma could hardly contain his glee. "'Good work, boy!' Kikali firmly grabbed Toma's hand and pulled the young man to him. He wrapped his arms around his son and gave him a firm hug. "'Good choice on the river-crossing. I wasn't sure which you would choose. Outstanding work!' Thank you, Father. The young Imanthula was proud. Katie watched Kikali. He was different from the other men she had met in this ancient land, more confident and self-assured. Perhaps it was because most of the people she knew were priests or temple workers. This proud man stood looking keenly and curiously at all that he saw. And then Kikali turned his stare on her. And who is this beat-up young woman, lad? This is Ishtar, father, Toma proclaimed, as if he had brought the Holy Grail home. And you two are already on a first-name basis, eh? Toma was immediately embarrassed, and looked as if he wanted to melt and ooze away, but Kikali didn't wait for an answer. He continued to focus on the goddess, staring at her intently. Hello, he whispered, and smiled as he held out his hand. Katie wanted to hug him. She hadn't even spoken to the man, and now she wanted to hug him. How could a total stranger be so disarming? That's why he's so good with horses, she thought. But she kept her composure and answered him formally. I am Ishtar, goddess of Nineveh, Lalish, and Erbil. Kikali looked at her without blinking, waiting for her to say more. Why does he make me so uncomfortable, she thought, and she spoke again. I am Ishtar. I am also Inanna, Nina or even Shoshka, if you prefer. Still, he waited. I am Katie Reynolds, and one day I will be Astarte and Venus. She said this in English, for variety. He continued to wait. Katie thought she saw a slight smile, so she played along and gave him her formal Navajo greeting, the only one left. Kikali must have decided she was through, because he finally responded. Welcome to Nuzi, Divine Ishtar. He bowed deeply. All that you see here is yours. I, Kikuli, your humble servant, have kept your precious possessions healthy for you, Almighty Ishtar. Katie bowed back, and Kikuli turned to Toma. We must go, he said. We are hungry from waiting for you. His men had watched Kikuli from their mounts, waiting for the introductions, so they could continue with their day. If they were dogs, they would be wagging their tails, sensing an end to the conversation was near. The final signal came when kikali jumped onto his stud. Now the men went immediately into action. Their noise and dust became memories as Toma pulled the Amanti together for the final slog home. Katie did not see kikali again that day. Once they arrived at the Royal Palace in Nuzi, she attended a prescribed evening of tours and feasts and talks. With the mid-level priests of the temple. She didn't see Kikuli, Tushrada, or Toma, and even Renee stayed away. By the end of the night, she didn't have the energy to track the men down. She was sore and dead tired when Rabea finally tucked her in. Good night, Rabea, thank you, was all she could manage before she quickly fell into a deep, well-deserved sleep. End of chapter. Thank you for listening. You can follow the story on my blog jeadvm.com. Once on my blog's front page go to the menu pick my books and select Katie Becomes Ishtar. That'll take you to the Ancient Katie series of books. Inconvenient Goddess can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book or an e-book as well as an audiobook set or can be downloaded from the audiobook site spotify more details are on my website jeadvm.com